Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is now going for the green with Daily Roto. Welcome to Going for the Green on the Fantasy Sports Network. I'm Mike Leone of DailyRoto.com. Hosting this week, where we'll be talking about the Open Championship played at Carnoustie. I've got Colin Drew and Drew Dinkmeyer, also from DailyRoto.com, joining us before we get into the show, which will focus on uh, mostly DraftKings fantasy for the upcoming week. Do want to note that we're recording this on the Friday before so there is some news to monitor both in terms of wind in terms of some player injuries then we'll hit on those in this podcast a little bit but you want to keep an eye out for that uh we don't have the draws right now and want to note that our betting tools will be updated next week so if you're not playing fantasy but you want to bet on the open championship we have expected values for head-to-head matchups in both tournament round matchups we have top 20 expected value bets uh outright win expected value bets for bet365 and sportsbook so make sure to check that out by going to dailyroto.com slash premium all of our stuff is powered by data golf and of course rate review us on itunes that goes a long way but with this opening out of the way guys we have uh the third major of the season the masters wasn't too kind to us the u.s open was a bit better. I know we had a Thunderdome team that cash. That was fun. We were all together actually hanging out in Ocean City watching the U.S. Open together. Uh, but the Open Championship, Drew, I know this is one of your favorite uh, events of the year for DFS. It's one of my favorite for a couple reasons. One is I'm a late night owl as is. So the, the ability to have something to sweat while I'm procrastinating and going to sleep is already a big plus. Two, it occurs during the MLB All-Star break, which means my workload is way less. Big plus. And three, I think it's an event that historically has rewarded um, digging a little bit deeper on the research side, specifically on the weather. Now, I think the DFS industry is a little bit sharper on weather now than they have been the last few years. But this is one of the events that um, at times you can get really substantial uh, wind advantages based on the draws. And one of my best DFS PGA weeks ever was the year that Stenson and Mickelson just leapt the field and had that incredible final round. And that was a huge weather wind aided week for one side of the draw. That was one of the biggest discrepancies. I think, you know, data golf actually looked at this, that there was in any of the recent tournaments, the last handful of years in terms of weather draw. And yeah, as you noted at the time, people weren't paying that much attention to it. I know I remember that less fondly than you because I had lost money on Henrik Stenson all season and then was in New York while uh, the DFS ban in New York was going on. And I, I did, I was just watching Slack as everybody was printing money except for me because I couldn't play on Henrik Stenson. So I don't have the same kind memories. But Colin, this course that it's going to be played at, of course, it switches venues each year is at Carnoustie, it is the longest course to host the Open, over 7,400 yards. does have a reputation as a tough course. Like all these link styles courses, you know, you've got a lot of bunkers to deal with. And as Drew mentioned, if the wind is picking up, it's going to be very difficult to play at. Yeah, and that's that's really, I think, the big question. It's one of the, I guess, risks of recording early is we just don't know. It actually looks like the conditions have been a little bit mild. Um, still still wind, but, you know, not 20, 30, 40-mile-per-hour gusts, which sometimes you can get at an open championship. Um, I think the biggest thing for me trying to factor that in is more the scoring environment and how that favors, like, stars and scrubs versus balanced roster construction. Uh, just because if it plays a little bit easier, you expect some more fantasy scoring. But if the wins are up, then the bird- birdies are going to be hard to come by and par is going to be a pretty good number. Yeah, and I do think along with that note on how if it's playing tough, it 
helps the Stars and Scrubs build. I feel like each time we get a major, we get pretty loose pricing in the middle, and you're tempted to make these super balanced lineups, and that's generally the move in cash games. Again, you see that this week, but I do think they have some more guys priced in that low 7K range, high 6K range that are you know, more usable and a higher quantity of those guys that also plays into the studs and duds build. So it'll be interesting to see where ownership lies. I know U.S. Open, part of the reason why it went well for us was because we liked the balanced build, and it seemed like all those guys in the 9K range, like Brooks and, and whatnot, smashed, whereas... With DJ, the one guy we liked up top did good, and some of those other guys didn't do so well. Just the way the pricing landed, so a little bit of luck there. But it'll be interesting to see where ownership goes. If we see more of those high-end golfers, and by high-end I mean in terms of pricing owned this week. And as we take a look at the pricing for DraftKings this week, up top we've got two players at 11K or more in Dustin Johnson, 11.3, Rory at 11. And then three more guys in the 10K range. You've got Spieth at 10.6, Rose at 10.2, and Justin Justin Thomas at 10K. Uh, as we have had for a while, DJ is in a class of his own. And it's pretty crazy looking at our adjusted strokes gained ranks over the different time frames. We break it down by 24 months, 12 months, 6 months, and 2 months. And over those four time spans, DJ ranks first, 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 and second, which is rather absurd uh, when you look at the amount of you know elite golfers in today's game, that he would not only rate so well overall, but over each time frame and just have that consistent elite game. So we do have him separating himself from the field in terms of overall win probability at 8%, which is a few points higher than most of the other golfers. Uh, then you get Rory, who... You know, it's kind of the opposite. He really hasn't done that great over all of the time periods. You know, just around the top 10 in adjusted strokes games over all the time periods now. So, uh, Drew, do you envision yourself playing any Rory? I know that he seems to always get hyped up for these majors. Early on, I'm leaning towards fading him, even though the ownership, of course, will be lower than it will be on DJ. Yeah, I tend not to play a ton of Rory. He seems to be the the guy that I kind of X out. Because you, you have to essentially make some choices unless you want to go like underweight a little bit everybody at the top in terms of MME. Usually I'll kind of mix one or two guys and that opens me up to be able to be overweight on the players that I like a little bit more, um, even though I'm building generally less concentrated cores. Um, and so Rory just tends to be the guy for me. He does have the really good British Open history, the, the Open Championship history with three top fives in his last three appearances, having missed in 2015, including the win in 2014. Um, but I think with some of the other players, we've seen the form a little bit more consistent throughout the course of the season uh, than we've seen with Rory. And that's really the separator for me because you haven't gotten that price discount on Rory. It seems like all the other studs at a different point in time this year you've got a price discount on whether it's been speed or whether it's been jason day or justin thomas um rory it just never seems to come so since the price discount isn't there he's probably the guy that will be out of the mix for me so colin extending this to the 10k guys that includes speed rose and jt as well uh, is there anybody here that you're most likely to nix of this group um, most likely the Knicks, I think for me, would be JT, uh, unless it turns out that he's going to be a really good leverage option. I think that Justin Rose projects most favorable to me, factoring in that the top 20 odds may cut probability and um, allows you to do a lot of different things with your lineup. So he's the type of guy you could start with. You know, if you're going to play Rose, you're kind of starting there, but you could play a balanced build with him or you could grab Rose and then another guy from the 9K range and, and go a little bit more stars and scrubs. So I think early on I'm leaning towards Rose. Uh, part of the decision up top is always going to come down to ownership. Um, like Rose and DJ are the guys that jumped out to me as the guys that I want to start my teams with the most. But if you end up getting one of these guys at 5% ownership or something like that, then I think that's where you start to, to put like a Rory back into your mix, especially for a top-heavy tournament like the Millionaire Maker. Yeah, and in terms of our early projected finish probabilities, I noted that DJ was the clear one, but we have Rose as a pretty clear two as well overall, not even just based on price. And of course, that pricing is pretty favorable. And then after him, it's like everyone seems to start to get clustered. For me, the guys that I'm nixing, I'm with Drew uh, nixing Rory. I think Spieth, last year's winner, I, I, I'm probably not going to 
play much of, if at all, he could be a fade for me just because I think he's going to have some carryover ownership because he won last year. The form hasn't been great. You know, the price tag isn't great. So I don't see anything there that really makes me want to play him other than if I'm MME and I just don't want to give up too much high-end win equity by outright fading two of these guys. But Spieth looks to be the one. I'm in on JT. I like JT. If you believe that his ability to turn out high-end finishes is a skill thing. So what we mean there is his adjusted scoring averages that he's had over the past couple of years don't equate to the number of high-end finishes that he's had if you assume like a pretty average standard deviation. So if you do think that he's someone that has is just a more volatile golfer and has that high-end upside, I do think he's interesting at 10K. Haven't heard much chatter about him. And this price, even though it's not a good price, it's one of the lower prices I think we've had on him um, in the in the majors because he had such a strong start to this season. So I'm in on him. Uh, guys, do you have any other notes before we move on to this 9K range? I would say that you're probably right. JT's price is a little bit lower than maybe you expect, but that's probably driven by his course history. He's only played in two open championships, hasn't finished better than 53rd, and missed one of the cuts. So um, I don't I don't know. You know, you're talking about this. It is going to be one of the longer open championships. So you know, maybe maybe that there's some merit there that he'll go overlooked. Um, I wouldn't play him unless I was able to get a lot of leverage comparing the top 20 odds to his ownership projection, though, for me personally. So going to this 9K range, and, you know, you noted you can do a lot of things if you start with rows. I like from a leverage perspective, you know, starting with JT, but it's a similar thing where you can do that and pair with one of these upper 9K range guys. And guy that we seem to always like collectively and we're more agreed upon is usually John Rahm. And it is one of the longer courses. It is the longest venue that they have hosted the Open Championship. And Rahm's obviously long off the tee. He's on the PGA Tour thus far, second in strokes, gained off the tee. And just anecdotally, it feels like every time he goes over to Europe, and usually when we're not playing him in DFS, he smashes, and then he comes back and we play him on the PGA Tour events. And we don't get rewarded, but 9,800, I don't think he's going to carry very much ownership. You know, he's more expensive than Fowler, Fleetwood, Brooks in this range. Uh, he doesn't carry, obviously, the same, you know, prestige as you associate with Justin Rose, DJ, and some of those expensive players. So if he gets lost in the shuffle, I do think pairing him with like a low 10Ks guy, whether it's Rose or JT, is an interesting start where you don't go this huge high-end stud, but you got uh, two decent studs, and then you can balance out from there with some lower price players so drew are you back in on the rom train this week pretty much always in on rom um i think you know after last week's top five on the euro tour i saw a tweet come across i think it was from overholzer of, of golf channel um who mentioned that um rom now has 50 starts as a professional and he has 20 top fives that's just an absurd number of high-end finishes. And I think, you know, he's been disappointing relative to extremely high expectations for a lot of the DFS crowd. And now that you're starting to see the price come down and the ownership come down, I think putting his whole career in perspective and, you know, outside of some disappointing starts on the PGA Tour this year relative to very high expectations, I think he looks like a, a fantastic play. And the good form um, in Europe, you know, uh, uh, two top fives in the last uh, few weeks, I think is is a good sign. Um, so if the ownership's not there, I'm going to be in on Rom, and I think the price is just high enough that it's going to keep that ownership down. So um, I'm with you. I, I think it's a good leverage week for Rom, um, and I think this, you know, maybe this is, I don't know, he's going to break through at some point. Like he's just too talented, and he does so well at all the other events that eventually he's going to find a major that you know the the question of his patience isn't going to be an issue because he's going to play it so well. Um, and I'm just going to keep buying until I get it, basically. So right behind him in pricing, we have Ricky Fowler. And, and honestly, this will sound like a cop-out, but I just never know what to do with Ricky. I never feel like I feel that strongly one way or the play other. Him. What's that? I said play him. Yeah, I like Ricky play a lot him. this week. That's, that's what I was just going to ask you. Um, between Rom and Fowler, you know, who, do, who do you prefer? Or do you think they're both going to end up good leverage plays? Yeah, I mean, it depends. For smaller field stuff, for cash games, I definitely prefer Fowler over Rom. Um, I think Rom is more of a tournament play, especially if he's low owned. It is worth noting with Rom that, 
he's not going to pop. So a lot of Fantasy National, a really popular service, and a lot of those models are built on the strokes gain tee to green stuff. And because Rom's approach metrics on the PGA Tour are weak, he's not going to pop in content over there. But he is second in the field on the European Tour as far as their strokes gain metrics. So he's definitely still, obviously, a really good tee to green play. But outright, I would prefer Fowler. One of the things I like about Fowler is that he gains strokes in all facets of his game. And then Data Golf had also done that study before the U.S. Open about players who do better on tough courses. And Fowler gains strokes relative to his expectation on tough courses. And so that's another thing that I think sets up well. Uh, obviously, Rahm is a, a big talent that hasn't won a major, but I think Fowler is right there with him. And um, it seems like... Ricky will be a good play this week. The only question is if he finishes really strong at the Scottish Open, then maybe the ownership gets a little out of control. If he falls out and finishes like 20th or something like that, then I'm definitely in on Ricky. That was going to be my concern as well, is that I think Ricky's a better play than Rom, but I think there'll be more ownership on Ricky because he's got not only good history um, at the Open Championship where, you know, he's made, I think, I think it's like seven out of eight cuts and most of those are top 20s with a couple top fives. He's also had a good history at the Scottish Open as well, and he's got this perception of a player that does well when he travels across to, to Europe, and he got off to that really strong start um, at the Scottish Open this week. So I think there will be more attention on Ricky than there will be on Rom. He's also coming in on pretty good form with like four straight top 20s uh, pending whatever he does at the Scottish Open. But I, So I think he's a slightly better play than Rom from a probability standpoint, but I think he will carry more ownership than Rom, which is the reason I think Rom's a slightly better leverage tournament play. You would play them both, though, in tournaments? Yeah, I will have exposure to both for sure. All right, you guys are trying to sell me on Fowler. I'm still still a little torn on him, but definitely in on Rom. The low 9,000s range is really interesting. We've got Fleetwood, Kepka, and Sergio. Sergio's an interesting guy because I don't think he's going to carry very much ownership it'll be interesting to see if you know he had that finish where he probably should have won and ended up blowing it in 2007 lost in a playoff to Padraig Harrington I think he bogeyed or double bogeyed 18 or something happened there but he did have the lead going in the final round um if that's going to affect how people treat him but if you look at his adjusted strokes game that we have you know he just has not been good the last year or so and I'm I'm pulling it up now, but the numbers for him there are just really surprising. And of course, I can't, you know, find it in front of me right now. Okay, here it is. So over the last 24 month time span for Garcia in adjusted strokes gain, he ranks 17th, which is decent. Over just the last year, he ranks 44th. So what he did in two years ago is really is what's driving uh, his ranking. I think that's not just in our day and a lot of other people's data. He just has not been good over the last year or remotely close to it. So Eileen fading him, even if he is low-owned, you're obviously going to have to take some chances on guys that are low-owned that uh, aren't going to have great data because if they did have great data, they wouldn't be low-owned. But for me, I think I'm cutting out Sergio here. And then Fleetwood Brooks are super interesting where I feel like Brooks should be mega chalk, but he might not be because everyone loved to play Tommy Fleetwood. His odds are fantastic. He's 18 to one to win on bet 365. Uh, and I, I do think he's a little overpriced here at 9,400. He does have that nice combination of distance accuracy that you like to see on any course, but especially a long course. That's a little bit tough here. And, you know, if you slightly favor the euros in this tournament, I see where people really like Fleetwood, but, um, I, I just don't know how people are building if both of these guys can be mega chalk. And if it ends up being Fleetwood, then you look at Brooks, who has this fantastic history in majors. He's made 16 of 18 cuts in his majors. He's made five top fives, 12 top 25s, obviously has won the U.S. Open back-to-back times and fits a lot of builds easily. So I think my favorite play in this range is going to be Brooks. Uh, Drew, is he also your favorite play? And is it does it change between cash games and tournaments? No, I'm good with Brooks in either format. I think you mentioned that the Majors history is really remarkable. And a lot of the comments that he made around the U.S. Open in terms of him liking to play, you know, tougher courses because he feels it helps him be more patient and he feels like he can contend that way. It seemed to come to fruition very clearly in the U.S. Open. So I feel pretty comfortable with Brooks in these, you know, high end events. Um, Fleetwood is just a weird, a weird dude to get a handle on because He's kind of like the opposite of Rom in the sense that he seems to do well in all the events that people are playing DFS on. And then like he goes over to the Open to France and misses the cut over there, like in a pretty weak field for a European tour event. 
Um, so he has like all these high end finishes mixed with kind of high end disappointments, but they're in you know weaker field events that don't catch people's eye as much. Um, and then Fleetwood came off of that and you know withdrew from the Scottish Open and said he needed rest. And now. I don't think that's as concerning as some of the other withdrawals that we have to deal with, whether it's Louis Eustazen's neck or Henrik Stenson's wrist or Bryson DeChambeau withdrawing from the John Deere with a shoulder issue because those are distinct health issues. I do think the the fact that he's coming off a miscut and then says, hey, I need some rest before the Open Championship is a little bit of a warning flag. So if there's going to be big ownership around him, um, I would take Brooks over Fleetwood with equal ownership, and I think your inclination that Fleetwood might come with higher ownership because the DFS crowd just loves Fleetwood is my inclination as well. Colin, you're our expert in terms of projected ownership percentages. Obviously, we don't have enough data as of now to run your usual models, but do you have a lean on who might be higher owned between these two guys? And just given, I know it's difficult to project, but just given a very quick glance at the field, do you think there is enough room in terms of ownership for both these guys to be very chalky? So think 20% plus in uh, GPPs. Um, I don't think there's room for them both to end up at 20% plus, but you're not going to like the guys that could be 10% or would be Sergio, right? Because his form has been dreadful. He has done horrible in all of the U S events. I know he finished inside the top 20s last two European tour events, but before that he'd missed like four cuts in DFS events, you know, as a favorite where people were playing him. So Sergio is kind of the guy that you can see at like five to 10% ownership. I think Fleetwood will carry a fair bit. I would imagine Kepka ends up a little bit higher owned, but it's pretty close. The Vegas odds are uh, almost identical on them, and that's one of the things that will influence ownership. If they're the same ownership, I'd prefer Kepka. It would have to be a pretty large discrepancy in ownership to get me on Fleetwood. Uh, I know he obviously was chalk at the the op- or the U.S. Open, but that was a eight thousand dollar price tag. He was kind of right there next to Paul Casey. So Casey is still in similar range, a little bit higher than he was there, but Fleetwood's gotten a big bump right up into that elite class. And so I think I'll probably end up staying off of Fleetwood. All right, if we go into this 8K range, and part of the reason why I think, like if Fleetwood does end up big chalk that you want to fade him is not only Brooks right there, but this 8K range is loaded. And, you know, you start looking at all these guys, you think, oh, at this price, this player is going to be owned. This player is going to be owned. Well, you start doing the math, like someone's not going to be owned. It just won't work out this way. And, you know, right away up top in the AK range, you've got Tiger Woods at 8,900, who just because the hype on Tiger usually carries some ownership, it's died down a little bit in recent weeks, but he's never really low owned. You've got Jason Day at 8,800, Paul Casey at 8,700. We'll get into the rest of the field, but starting with those three guys, um, Day is the one who just always fascinates me. He's 31st in strokes gained off the tee, 154th in approach this season, and he's someone that does rate poorly on data golf in terms of playing in tough conditions. Colin, you mentioned that study, and, and Jason Day is one of the guys that has struggled in tough conditions historically. So all those things don't really line up well to make him a good play here. But then with all of that said, he's a top 10 player in the world. And when you look at his adjusted strokes gained over times, however he's getting it done, and it's generally around the green and putting, he's still getting it done and he's getting it done consistently. So you can't discount that. And it's a really good price tag. So uh, Drew, how are you handling Jason Day? Do you view him as the same enigma that I do? Yeah, he's a struggle for me um, as well, and I don't because I don't think ownership will collapse towards him. I don't. I don't know. I, I mean, it is it's a price that stands out for sure, but people in the industry just seem to not to like playing Jason Day because, as Collins referenced before, he just doesn't have those kind of tee to green um, metrics that really draw people in compared relative to his price tag and relative to the players that are usually priced around him because he does so much of his work around the greens and on the greens. Um, it's interesting because, like, this, this price range to me – Paul Casey is the guy that screams for us because we view Paul Casey as, you know, a top five golfer in the world, basically. And it it seems like the rest of the DFS industry views him as like a solid guy, but not a guy that, you know, can do like high end things. Um, So I'm interested to see like where ownership breaks down between these guys, because I think Casey and Day are a little bit ahead of like the Tiger, Molinari, Norin crowd, um, Hideki uh, in, in there as well. But I don't know that 
people will necessarily gravitate there ownership wise, which would probably lead to me uh, loading up a little bit more on Casey and Day and away from the rest. Um, but that this tier to me is one that I really want to see where ownerships come in um, because I think it'll create some differentiation for me. Then Tiger is six in strokes gained tee to green, but uh, he's 112th off the tee, or I think he's six. Um, off, uh, he's six. He's six in strokes gained. Yeah, tee to green. He's fourth in a third in approach. Sorry, I totally butchered that. Six strokes gained tee to green. Third in approach, but 112th in strokes gained off the tee. Colin, does the off the tee metrics for Tiger bother you at all on you know a really long course? Or I know I did the Pat Mayo show and he feels like. Um, Tiger is going to be able to, even with the length, play this somewhat conservatively off the tee just because he's got so much good distance, even with his non-driver clubs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it bothers me a little bit. Um, I don't think it bothers me enough to be off him entirely. You could definitely build a lot of roster constructions where you're grabbing a bunch of guys from this range. Um, I prefer Day over Tiger. I think I would consider Tiger and Casey pretty close to each other. Uh I don't know. Anecdotally, it just feels like if the weather is going to be bad, that day and that short game is a, a big separator. I believe he's first in the field in strokes gained around the green and putting. So definitely a guy that can kind of scramble his way around. And at his price tag, you're not talking about somebody where he has to finish in the top five. You know, when you're getting someone to anchor your lineup, that's really what you're looking for if you're paying up for a DJ or something. At day's price, like finishing inside the top 20 might be enough, depending what your other complimentary pieces do. And so... Um, I think slight preference for day out of those three. Um, Casey and Tiger kind of close to me. Uh, I, I don't know. That'll be like an ownership call, I guess. My, my guess is Casey will end up being low owned, which means I'll have to play him a little bit in tournaments, but I have a slight preference for Tiger, I think. Yeah, Casey's been the guy we've just been smashing at these, you know, prices and using him in balanced builds and cash games the last two majors. Uh, this one, it seems like there's other guys priced closer where he's not quite as much of an obvious play, but still sticks out pretty much, uh, at 8,700 that I think you can use him in cash, but man, it, it'll be tough. Cause I like, I feel like I don't want to use him much in tournaments, but if he's low on, like you said, um, you're, you're just going to have to, uh, I agree with you that day is my favorite of the three right now. Uh, as we move down this pricing spectrum, it will be interesting to see if people go with, like a lot of builds that have, let's say, Fleetwood in the low nines, Day, Casey, or whoever in the high eights, and they build this really balanced build, which could result in the low eights being pretty low owned. The guy I want to talk to, I want to jump down to 8,200 because I think he's one of the most crucial parts to this slate, especially if you're playing cash games, is Henrik Stenson, who we have third in our Data Golf World rankings. He does rate well in tough conditions at our event history for the open championship. Keep in mind it's event history because we don't have, um, because the venue is changing year to year, but Henrik Stenson rates best in the, our course history index for data golf and event history. So a lot of things line up well for him. He's just good. He's good on tough courses. He's good at open championships. Uh, the issue is he just withdrew with, from the Scottish open. I believe it was with an elbow injury. So, um, one, is this a concern, Drew? And two, uh, do you think it's going to affect people's how they approach him and use him in GPPs? Yeah, I I I think this is going to be one that we're just going to be monitoring the news during the course of the week, and you hope that you get you know like if you get news that you know Stenson pulls out of like you know a practice round or. Uh, you know, whatever events that they have on, on Wednesday. Like, I think then you'll see ownership wildly impacted. If you get, you know, really positive remarks, um, maybe it doesn't get as impacted. I'm, I'm nervous here because, you know, just anything, you know, wrist, elbow, anything like that, that's like primarily in the golfers, you know, swing and their control, I get a little bit nervous on. Um, so I'm, I'm probably for now, unless we get, really good clearance from Henrik that says, yeah, I'm fine. I'm totally good to go. Like, don't worry about it. I'm probably taking him out of the cash game mix for me, um, which hurts because I think he's clearly the most underpriced golfer on the entire slate, but I don't know where the health is and I wouldn't play it in cash. Um, I would still play it in tournaments, even if ownership was reasonable, because I think if he is fully healthy, it's such a bad price uh, that you can go towards it. Um, but I'm interested in Colin's thoughts as well. 
Yeah, he probably should have been $800 more expensive to kind of fit into that same conversation right up there with Tiger, Day, Sergio. Um, I think he was the most obvious mispricing relative to Vegas odds as well, and it wasn't going to be the sneaky play that we liked and nobody else did. He was he was heading for like 25 or 30% ownership. The other thing is the 8K range kind of fits, like the low 8K fits every type of build. If you go DJ, you can drop to the 8K for your second golfer. If you go with like a, a Fowler or a Rose or even like a Fleetwood, you can get them as like your third golfer. So the 8K range usually gets hit up with like one or two chalk plays. Stenson was heading down that path, and it's it's just all going to be how public the news is. I think in DFS Twitter, it was out early enough, and people are going to be talking about it in all the podcasts and content. So the only real question is whether or not we get clarity. Um, and I don't, I don't think you can really make a decision this early. It's definitely something we'll cover for our subscribers in the pro tip and make sure that we send out an alert if we catch any news. But uh, it is going to be a news-oriented decision for me. Um, he's so mispriced that if, if you kind of have like the, the, the green, I think you got to go in, in cash games too. Um, but if, if the news is murky, then I don't really know what you want to do because you're not really, my guess is he's going to play. And my guess is you're not really going to know too much more beyond that. And then above him, you've got a handful of guys that could end up really good leverage plays depending on where ownership comes in, especially if Stenson does get the go-ahead and everyone's on him um, as they should be if he is healthy. You've got Molinari at 8,600, Hideki at 8,500, Reed at 8,400, Norin at 8,300. find this range super interesting. Our boy Molinari, I, I felt like initially at this price tag, no one was going to play him and that I could play like 10 to 15% Molinari and be overweight on the field by 2x and be pretty happy about it. But he's just absolutely smashed. And we were joking before the podcast that you would have thought, uh, I think, Colin, you said that we'd be retired on an island somewhere if we knew Molinari. His last four events, first, 25th, second, first, as we're recording this on Friday, I believe he is in first place at the John Deere. So uh, absolutely smashing. And it's great to see, even though... um you know, a couple of those, like the Italian Open, you know, didn't really do much for us and uh, whatnot. But, you know, are people going to play him given that incredible run, even though this price tag is at a spot where, honestly, I could go either way on him based on ownership. If he gets chalky because of the recent performances, then I don't mind full fading. I don't think he gets chalky because of all the opportunity costs, but it is an interesting conundrum there. Then you've got Hideki Matsuyama, three straight T20s and a 16th at the, the U.S. Open. He's generally uh, always someone that I'm personally buying on, and I felt like I probably shouldn't have bought on him quite as hard when he's coming back from the wrist injury, but... Uh, it seems like he's doing a little bit better now. As I mentioned, he's had three straight t- top 20s. And then Patrick Reed is someone that our model is coming around to. We've been a little slow to come around to. But if you look at the adjusted strokes gain the last 12 months, 6 months, 2 months, he's ranked 16th, 11th, and 8th uh, relative to all the other players in this field. And then, of course, you've got Norn at 8,300. So, Drew, do you have a favorite leverage play here, someone that you think has the, the requisite upside and will be you know, near the lowest owned of this 8K range? Um, it would have been Norin, but it seems like he's going to get, you know, the Pat Mayo bump. Um, and so I I think Leishman is the guy that might fall through the cracks a little bit. Pretty good open championship history, has three top sixes in the last four years. Uh, the The performance in the U.S. has been kind of spotty, so I think the ownership won't be there. Um, and I'm probably not going to play as much Phil, um, just because I've been really frustrated with Phil's, uh, performance over the last, you know, three, four months. And he just miscut against a, a Scottish. Um, and I think, you know, Stenson's going to be the big ownership decision because if people are playing him, then these guys around him are going to go low own naturally. Uh, but I don't think anybody's going to play Leishman. Like Grace is right below him. Phil and Stenson and Norn are right above him. Um, so Leishman might be my leverage play of, of this range. I think for me, Reed and Hideki are the two I like the most. I'm with you. I'm not playing Phil, who's 43rd in adjusted strokes gain the last two months. He's 143rd in strokes gain off the tee this year. Uh, Colin, who's your favorite play uh, in this 8K, you know, low 8K range? So take out Stenson and take out the top three high-priced guys. Uh, so I, I guess just to comment quickly on Molinari, I think he's going to be very low owned, even if he does well, uh, for whatever reason, people aren't willing to buy in. I mean, you, the Molinari whisperer are questioning whether or not you're going to play him. So 
if that's happening, then I, I don't think even if he finishes well that people are going to, you know, believe in the short-term results, which is kind of an interesting thing just because for so long we've had this, like, three-year Molinari was, like, a cut maker, a top-20 guy, and I don't think people want to pay the premium. So I think he's going to be low-owned. I think Patrick Reed's going to be low-owned. Um, another guy that people seem hesitant to, to pull the trigger on. People didn't really play him at the U.S. Open despite his finish at the Masters, and um, I could see both those guys being overlooked in favor of Hideki and Norin. To me, and it's just like an ownership play. Um, Stenson's the guy I want in cash games if he's healthy, and the other guys is just trying to figure out the leverage on the field in tournaments. All right, as we go to the 7K and sub-7K value plays, we'll move a little bit quicker now, but uh, two guys in, in the 7K range that are finished probabilities like right off the gate for their price tags are... Two names you've probably heard us say a lot, but Patrick Cantlay, who we view very underpriced relative to his talent, uh, rates well in a lot of the strokes gain metrics, so I do think he'll be somewhat chalky. And then I can't believe my boy Tony Finau is at $7,200. We have him 17th in the Data Golf World rankings. He's 18th in Tita Green on the PGA Tour. Uh, So I'm huge on Finau. I think he is one of the best cash game plays on this entire slate. The issue with these two guys is going to be chalky. So I'll go right back to you, Colin. Um, how chalky do you think they're going to get? And, uh, of course, in, in tournaments, there are ways to do your builds where you have a chalky player. You just want to be cognizant of the guys you're using around him. Um, I think Finau is going to be 25%. Could even get higher? Wow. There's yeah. just... I mean, there's just not a ton of pivots. He's blatantly mispriced from like what the Vegas outright markets are. He should be, you know, up closer to 8K, maybe up near the Ian Poulter range if you just went off the the Vegas outrights. And then people love Finau from DFS and he's a DK score, all that kind of good stuff, all the reasons we like him. So I think he's going to be the highest owned player on the slate. I think he's going to be 25 to 30% owned. And um, like you said, if there are a lot of reasons you might want to go that route. Anyways, he does have really high mid cut probabilities. I think we've got him 75% chance to make the cut. So um, not a ton of you know leverage to be gained, um, you know at least from a probability perspective there. But you got to find someone who's going to outperform him if you're going to, to dodge him. And there just aren't attractive name values to pivot. The one guy I could see drawing a little bit of that ownership is Webb Simpson, uh, who I think we have rated comparably to Finau in the top 20 probabilities. I would imagine that Simpson is also owned, but maybe he's closer to 15% versus Finau at 25 or 30. Yeah, and I think if you are going to get him lower owned, of course, you mentioned Webb, um, Bryson DeChambeau in the mid-sevens of him and Cantley carry ownership. Bryson, of course, just withdrew with a shoulder injury, and it did look like uh, he had a legitimate injury there. Uh, sometimes it's tough to tell if people are just withdrawing because, you know, they, they're off the poor starts and, you know, the open championships right around the corner, obviously more important. Yeah, him at 7,600. I want to stick to mostly 7K range, but we'll mention that Emiliano Grillo at $6,800 is another guy that looks like, whoa, you know, this price really sticks out. Um, and you just wonder how people are going to build this time around. Are they going to stick to those balanced rosters we saw a ton of at the U.S. Open? Or are they going to go a bit more studs and duds? So that's an interesting facet to this. Um, Drew, I mean, what are you seeing here as far as like the cash game chalk plays? And then after that, we can start looking at, you know, the high sevens where you might get some leverage tournament guys. Yeah, I think Matt Kuchar, anytime he's in the 7,000s, is going to draw attention. And he had, you know, the the big high-end finish here last year where Jordan Spieth had the remarkable back nine uh, to end up overtaking Kuchar. But I think at 7,700, Kuchar will certainly draw a lot of eyes for cash game consideration. And I would be interested to hear Colin's thoughts on Kuchar versus Cantlay in terms of ownership because I think the perception, and especially on these more public events, you know, the majors where you draw in the Millie Maker and you draw in some more casual players, especially without MLB All-Star break and not as many things going on. If the main value of Kucher will kind of outweigh the the more consistent uh, high-end performances from Cantlay, because my instincts are that Kucher will probably be higher owned than Cantlay in that range, or at least comparable. Um, do you feel that way, Colin? Yeah, I think it'll be comparable. Um, maybe even Kucher a little bit higher. Uh did have that strong finish at the last open championship and just in that always kind of gathers the ownership. So 
I think he'll be there. I'm kind of curious to see. I know in sometimes the Open Championship, people like to make sure they're playing European Tour players. And so I wonder how a name like Ian Poulter ends up from an ownership perspective. He's one of the guys that popped up at the top when Data Golf did that study on players who played best on tough courses. Um, Ian Poulter was right there up at the top. And he's kind of across both tours, uh, really steady in all of the different individual strokes, game metrics, gaining strokes, off the tee approach around the green putting also gaining strokes to the green on the European tour. And so kind of just checks all those things. Um, I like Poulter maybe more in tournaments. I hope he's not quite as heavily owned. I hope Kucher maybe soaks up a little bit of that uh, just because there are a couple of those names. Canley is, uh, I think a lot of people kind of get the same feeling that, that we, we did when we see it where he does seem like he's really mis- mispriced, but you always had these like lingering doubts in the back of your head for whatever reason, because He's burned us in a couple of chalky spots on whether or not we should really like slam the value or whether or not we should just kind of match the field. Yeah, I do think with Cantley, like if I'm making some manual adjustments, I'm probably scaling him back a little bit in our projections. Bryson, if he's healthy, I'm probably, you know, putting really close to where Cantley is, who's um, and the, the thing with Bryson, you know, elite prospect and his 12, six, two month adjusted stroke gain numbers are awesome. It's just the two year stuff. And I think, you know, in certain circumstances, it's OK to be more aggressive ignoring some of that data which of course our pure model is not going to do but uh, in the upper 7k range i think a lot of these guys could be really low owned because we mentioned you know the ability to build in the low eights and whatnot um i think my favorite up top here is brandon grace but you've also got terrell Haddon, adam scott's interesting i'm off bubble watson who's made just five and nine cuts in the open i'm just one top 25 of those five cuts and then you know if louis Usteisen is going to be healthy and we might not know he with another one of those guys that withdrew last week with a neck injury but uh, has this reputation as a gamer and the data kind of backs that up he's 12 of 14 and cuts the last four years in majors three second place finishes 10 top 25s in those 12 cuts so that's pretty great Drew, do you have a favorite in the i guess the price range right above kuchar as far as someone that could be low on for tournaments so i'm interested to see because grace is a guy that i feel like if there's that euro bias which he's not a Euro guy. <laughs> he's a South African I know. I guy. referred to him as a Euro guy on the Mayo show, and immediately I was like, oh. Yeah, but I think but I think people consider him like non-U.S., so then if there's like a, you know, an old European tour bias, that Grace might get some ownership there. And it feels like people like to play Grace in majors. I don't know. Maybe I just have too much Pat Mayo bias. The Mayo's al- always seems to be on Grace in majors. Um, but the guy that kind of interests me is Rafael Cabrera-Bello, who has had some high-end finishes in contended in um, in majors. Most most notably, I guess, wasn't the major. It was the Players' Championship. Um, but he's a guy that is long enough off the tee, really good with the approach game. Um, where he struggles is sometimes around the greens, which, if the weather can be bad, is a little bit concerning. But he, he never seems to gain really high ownership when he's priced in the high or mid-sevens. And around the names like Cantlay and Kucher, I think he would take a back seat. So I'm interested in, in RCB. I don't, I, I kind of think Grace might be owned a little bit, but, um, we'll see ultimately where that, where that comes out. And then kind of on the, the lower end of the spectrum in terms of the pricing, um, I think that's where you'll see like a lot of guys under owned because the, the public will condense on the Tony Finau price, on the Webb Simpson price, even on Zach Johnson with his history at open championships at 7,200. So any of those other guys in the low sevens, you know, like, uh, Daniel Berger, um, you know, Ben on, um, these types of guys, I think you'll get with, with lower, uh, m- much lower ownership because of the, the strength of the 7,200 plays with Simpson, Finau, and, and Zach Johnson. Yeah, Ben on 16th in strokes gained off the tee. I feel like it's going to play a little bit easier that, than he's someone that I'd like to look to. I know, uh, C Bass in our Daily Roto Golf subscriber chat is always on Oppie Barnrat. Uh, he's someone who's 110 to 1, uh, and it's possible that you might want to manually bump him to someone with comparable odds, maybe someone like Ben on, um, just because the data with him is kind of tough. Colin, for you in the low sevens, you've also got Luke List, who's been great tee to green so far this season. But you know the overall just the stroke scan isn't phenomenal. Is there anyone that you're, you know, particularly liking in the low sevens? I know you mentioned Webb as a pivot to Finau. I think he'll be a bit more popular, but you probably need some more guys if you're playing, um, you know, tournaments this week. Yeah. So if Webb and Finau are the guys that I'd be looking at in. Three max cash games. Um, you could maybe even play them both on your cash game lineup. 
for tournaments, um, if I was going to make, I don't know how many teams I'll make, 20, 50, however many teams I make, it does seem like a really good range where maybe you don't go crazy overweight on Finau or Webb and you kind of match the market and then you end up getting overweight on a bunch of these guys. Drew mentioned a couple of them. I think some of the other guys, like I, I always end up in a little bit of a soft spot for whatever reason in the Open Championship with like Lee Westwood, another guy that kind of pops. Some of these guys from the European Tour pop more in that data golf study as players who play a little bit better on tough courses. And obviously you have the links environment this week. If you think it's going to play a little bit easier, um, I, I think a, a guy like Charlie Hoffman is another guy that I, I don't see gathering a ton of chatter by the time the week rolls around. And I'd be interested in him. I think we've got him with around 65% chance to make the cut, 18% or so top 20 odds, and a guy that can make some birdies for you as well um, and maybe outscore his placement points. And then, I don't know, like there's not a ton to separate some of these guys. Um, and and so that, then it's just like trying to figure out the ownership angle or dropping below 7K and going with someone like a, a Jason Duffner, who's usually a pretty steady guy who can, you know, hit the fairways, hit the greens and, Maybe doesn't have the high-end finish in the Open Championship in him, but can can be the cheapest guy in your roster. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of... You mentioned, too, it's like hard to differentiate some of these guys when you start looking at the pivots. I feel like there's more guys down here I'm okay using than normally, but I'm having a tough time deciding which of those guys I want to use. So you mentioned Duffner. We've got Russell Henley as a really good value at $6,900. You know, Chisholm Hadley, Kyle Stanley here in the 6900 range. Like These are guys that seem like they're okay, they're fine. Um, not guys that I really want to go out of my way to play, but, um, if I'm building some big studs and duds rosters, I think you have enough guys that you could MME and spread out among a bunch of these guys and be in an okay spot where some of the other majors, I felt like you might be doing, putting yourself at a disadvantage doing that way. Or is this, this week, I feel like you can do that. Um, how chalky does Grio get? Like, is this Finau chalk level or is this just a little bit chalk? I, I think it gets pretty bad. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me from the U.S. Open, but it, it feels like it's kind of it was the same situation, right? Where they were kind of in the same price range, they were mispriced, there wasn't a huge um, bundle of options like right nearby. And so, I, I mean, I think he hits 15, 20%. I don't really see a reason why that wouldn't happen, um, especially with the familiarity people have from playing him on the PGA Tour. Yeah, and that, this is one of those, you know, spots where I'd caution in tournaments, don't make too many Finau and Griot lineups. I feel like that's going to be a super popular build to, you know, not even a studs and duds lineup, but just fooling around. I made a balanced lineup with Finau and Griot to start, you know, where you can just hammer away some of those really good options in the 9K, upper 8K range and get four of those guys because of the cap relief that Finau and Griot offer. So, uh, but uh, Drew, I'll throw it to you. Like, if you're building in cash right now, of course it's very early in the week. There's a lot of information we don't have. Like, would you start Finau Grio? Do you think that's too many cheap guys for a, a major week build, or do you think that's okay? I think they'll probably be okay. Um, also, what Colin alluded to with the weather will really have a big influence there because if it looks like it's going to be a really tough scoring conditions and. Eh, I'm more likely to reach up towards a Dustin Johnson potentially in a cash game build. So I think it really, really depends on uh, some of the scoring conditions, but I don't think that's too cheap for a major week. Both those guys are very clearly underpriced. Um, And you mentioned you can get there with some balance builds. So I I don't have a problem there with those guys. I did want to mention with, you know, a guy like Lee Westwood that Colin mentioned, he's having a really good start to the Scottish Open. You know, he's got a nine under through the first two rounds there. I'm interested to see how guys like that who may not have popped up if they did not do as well at the Scottish Open um, kind of kind of get handled. Because he's one, I know Luke List had a really good first round, um, and he's a name that I don't think people would have considered. But if they do well at the Scottish Open, there might be some um, easing of concerns, especially if any of the, Amer- um, the Americans that are non-traditional names kind of rise that leaderboard. There might be fewer concerns with people for them like traveling abroad. Uh, looking at the really cheap plays, you've got, you know, CH3 at $6,700. You've got Ryan Moore in that same price range. Uh, it, it does look like you could take a stab at one of these guys where it's, there's, there's been some weeks where I'm like, don't play anyone below 6,800. I think there's a couple guys there. Uh, anyone interested in 
throwing a dart at Pat Mayo's favorite, Siwoo Kim at 6,500. We do have him of players in that price range the best, but um, that is sort of where we're drawing the line. I'm saying, okay, once you get to 6,500, that's where the plays really take a big drop off. I don't have a lot of interest. Uh, I think it's uh, plays have already dropped off at that point, and I think I played too much Siwu at the John Deere. If he can't finish strong there, I don't know if he's going to win me a million bucks at the Open Championship. Uh, I tend to draw the line at like guys with 15 or 20 percent probabilities to T20. So I'll probably be looking at like the $6,700 range as where I'll start with kind of my my cheapest golfer, someone like a Ryan Moore. I think is right in there, and like you mentioned, Charles Howell. And then there's a, a couple of European tour players as well that you could kind of take a look at um, if you wanted to to get some kind of throw some darts at guys who might have two or three percent ownership. Yeah. All have, right. Well, do, I'm really looking do you guys forward. Have, do you guys have a favorite euro? Like a favorite cheap euro? Mine's Alexander Bjork. 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 Uh, but I, w- I was going to say Bjork just because uh, I'm kind of uh, a slave to the data golf projections, and he's of those cheap euros. Uh, the guy that they like the most. So I was going to go Bjork. Colin, I don't know if you have a different uh, cheap Euro guy. I know uh, you got Alexander Levy down there. You've got, you know, Colzer. It's guys that we don't have rating really well, but sometimes it's difficult with the data on some of those, you know, p- more pure Euro players. Yeah, it was probably burned before he pulled out. Um, I, I guess maybe a guy like Dylan Fratelli, um, sort of like a European tour like almost like a Luke list, really good tee to greens. I think he's seventh in the field as far as the European tours and European tour players in strokes gained tee to green, which is obviously not a, a perfect thing, but I think that could set up well um, for, for kind of a cheap flyer. So that might be one of the guys I was looking at. All right. Well, I'm really looking forward to this week. I do think we want to keep an eye on the weather and the ownership projections that Colin's going to put out for us at dailyroto.com. Uh, make sure you check those out because there are a lot of spots where, again, I feel like some of the guys we think are going to be chalky, a couple of them have to not be just the way the math works out. you got to max at 600% uh, ownership on all these guys. So it'll be a really fun week. Thanks for joining me, Colin and Drew. Please make sure to rate and review us on iTunes. This is Going for the Green on the Fantasy Sports Network. Thanks for tuning in. Best of luck in the Open Championship. 